Well, good morning, CBC. Um, great to be with you guys again. Why don't you open up your copy of God's Word, turn to Psalm 119. We're diving into Psalm 119. Uh, we're not going to be, though, in the next stanza. We did the first stanza, the first eight verses last week. Uh, we're going to jump to verse 145. We'll be today in the 19th stanza. And I wanted to go to the 19th stanza because it is so different from verses one through eight. It's so different from the first stanza. I, I also have a, a, a secret ambition that at CBC, we would have preached through all of Psalm 119. So we're kind of on our way. We have four out of the 22 stanzas down. So if you go online, you can see those four. Um, and if we do about two stanzas a year, that's about like nine or 10 years from now that we'll be finished Psalm 119. So we're on our way, we're on our way. Uh, but it will certainly be worth the investment. Psalm 119, as we learned last week, is what I call the A to Z of God's word. Not just me, but many other preachers before me who call it the A to Z of God's word. We call that for two reasons. One reason is that it is an acrostic. We talked about that last week, that every verse Every, or every stanza begins with the same Hebrew letter. And then the next stanza after that, the next eight verse, follows with the next Hebrew letter starting every verse. And so it is the A through Z of God's word. But I also uh, like to call it that because it is a comprehensive and personal description of God's word in the life of a believer. It looks at, God, look at the role of God's word in different aspects of your life. And so last week we looked at the first stanza, that was the Aleph stanza, that's, that's the A in the Hebrew alphabet. And what we saw is that from God's word, God's word provides us the means to live a blessed life. And remember what blessed means there. Blessed is to live in an enviable state before the Lord. It means that we, we live in favor before him and in a close relationship with him. And in order to do that, you have to go to God's word. Now, does that mean we get every physical blessing and every temporal blessing here on this earth, here in this life? And the answer is no, that's not what blessed promises, but it does not promise that. It does promise that you will live in a close fellowship with God as you seek God, as you pursue God in his word. And so maybe you're like me and what I do is I look at a passage and, and see, okay, that's a very general description what about special circumstances? What about when there is great difficulty in your life? When there are great trials, when there's disappointment and conflict and tragedy? Are you really supposed to just obey God's word and that is considered blessed? Well, we talked about that a little bit last week. We looked at Job and the answer to the question is yes, but it doesn't, God's word doesn't just leave us with a yes and says, go figure this out. God in his word this morning is going to show us a personal description of the role that God's word play, the, the role that God's word plays in our lives when everything isn't fine. When God isn't answering our prayers, when you're pleading to God, when you're asking God for deliverance from a trial and he doesn't make his answer clear, the trial persists and you just hear silence from God waiting for answers is certainly very difficult during those times. I remember when uh, Omen was just born, um, not too long ago, he's only eight months. Uh, so not too long. Um, so Omen was born, the, it was sometime at 4 a.m. We were in the hospital. Uh, Danielle was asleep on the hospital bed and Omen was having a hard time breathing. His lungs were, you could kind of see his lungs as he would breathe in. And the nurse said, that's not right. Uh, let me go clear his nasal passages because he was really congested when he was born. So let me clear his nasal passages. Do you want to come with me? It's only going to be a few minutes or do you just want to stay? And I saw Daniela sleeping on the bed. I was very tired. I'm like, hey, the nurse is going to take my baby. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> so the nurse wheels Owen away in his little, little baby bassinet that they had there. I woke up an hour later thinking Owen would have been back. Owen's still gone. I go outside my room. I wander the halls in the hospital looking for a nurse. And you know how hospitals are sometimes. Like 
all of a sudden you see a bunch of nurses and all of a sudden you don't see any nurses. So I was walking through the hospital looking for nurses and I found one and uh, I asked her, hey, my son was taken uh, uh, over an hour ago now. Um, is he okay? Can I see him? And the nurse says, well, let me find out where he is for you. She goes somewhere, comes back and says, I need you to go back to your room and the head nurse is going to update you on his condition. Now, as a parent, what do you think goes through my head? I am racing in my mind as to what, what is going on with Owen. Um, I was thinking like, was he sick? Is he connected to a breathing machine? Um, is, are we gonna have to go to, to the, the, the NICU, the, the baby ICU? What is going on? And I just wanted the nurse to come tell me. I just wanted the answers immediately. I had to wait. It was a long wait, and I think it turned out to be like a two-hour wait before I found out. Um, Owen was fine. Uh, you could see him after service in all, all his like, chunky glory, so he's, he's fine. Um, but waiting is hard, and, and waiting is hard, especially when you, when you don't have answers. And when you're praying to God, asking God to intervene, asking God to answer your prayers, and, and he doesn't answer what do we tend to do? We, we, we tend to just ask all these questions. We tend to almost spiral. We ask ourselves, did, did God hear me? Did God already answer and, and I missed it? Does God even care that I'm struggling right now? Does God have the best in mind for me? And what do I do in the meantime? What do I do when God doesn't answer? Well, I think this is what the psalmist writes about. He writes about when God doesn't answer. In verses 145 through 152, he's going to look at the role God's word plays in your prayer life, but particularly in your prayer life when God hasn't answered, when you're waiting on God. And so in our passage, we're going to see three characteristics of prayer. Three characteristics of prayer that's grounded in the surety and the promise of God's word. And three characteristics of prayer that actually draws back to his word. And my hope for you this morning is that you will leave here, still continue to pray to God. You still continue to go to God, you continue to wait on God and continue to plead with him, but you do so with a greater trust. You do so with an unwavering faith. And so in our passage this morning, we're gonna see three characteristics of biblically informed prayer. Biblically informed prayer. Biblically informed prayer that one pleads with God, Biblically informed prayer pleads with God. Biblically informed prayer persistently waits on God. And biblically informed prayer rests on God. So prayer that pleads with God, that waits on God, and that rests on God. And all these characteristics are founded on and point us to God's word. So read with me. We're going to start, start uh, in Psalm 119 reading uh, verses 145 through 152. I cried with all my heart, answer me, O Lord. I will observe your statutes. I cried to you, save me, and I shall keep your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I might meditate on your word. Hear my voice, According to your loving kindness, revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. Those who follow after wickedness, wickedness draw near. They are far from your law. You are near, O Lord. And all your commandments are truth. Of old I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would guide us now as we look into your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word covers such a diverse range of moments in our lives that we can look to your word when, when things are going great, when, when we're being blessed. But we can also look to your word when we're waiting on you, when we need to come before you and say, Lord, help my unbelief. And I just pray, Lord, through your word that you would just encourage us, that we would trust in you all the more, and that we would desire to obey you as we trust in you. Praise Jesus' name. Amen. So as, 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 you, as we read there, 
You can see this section is about prayer. In that eight verses, there are eight references to prayer itself. And, and the psalmist has been petitioning God throughout Psalm 119. This is not the first time he's asking the Lord for things. He's been asking God to help him to obey God's word, to trust God's word. He's been asking God for, for sanctification. But, but he's also been asking God that, the, that God would deliver the psalmist from his enemies. Now, we know a little bit about these enemies. Uh, uh, in a lot of translations, they call these enemies in some verses like princes. So these are maybe some rulers, maybe someone in authority that is going against the psalmist here. But they do present a real danger to him. Throughout Psalm 119, they, they, there's, the psalmist says that they threaten him, that they're seeking to kill him. However, when we get to this psalm, the urgency and the desperation of this concern, I think, reaches a level that you don't see anywhere else in Psalm 119. It, re- it, it peaks. But even in that peak, even in that, in that desperate cry from, that the psalmist has, he goes back to God's word. In fact, it is on God's word that he founds his petitions in the first place. He goes to God. He eagerly and persistently makes requests to God, but he follows each petition with the word of God. And that's going to bring us to our first point today. Our first point of biblically informed prayer is that biblically informed prayer pleads with God. And this pleading isn't just a, a asking of God to do something. This pleading is on the basis of the psalmist's relationship with God. So look at me, look, look at with me in verses 145 and 146. He says, I cried with all my heart, and there's, there's a pleading, answer me, O Lord, I will observe your statutes. And verse 146, I cry to you, same word as 145, I cry to you, save me, and I shall keep your testimonies. First, there's so much crying here. There's so much pleading, so much calling on God to, to, for God to act. It, the, the psalmist is sending an SOS message to God. And when he sends that message, there is a full expectation based on the wording of the, of, of the, the psalmist uses here. There's, there's a full expectation that God is going to answer. And look how earnestly he asked. In, in verse 145, he says, I cried with all my heart. This, the petition that the psalmist is making here is a petition that every desire of his body, that all his will, that his emotions, everything that he has is crying out to God right now. He cries with all his heart. And when we look at verse 146, the psalmist says, God, save me. Now, one thing you have to remember about Old Testament is that when you see save me, especially in the Psalms, like 80% of the time, the majority of the time, is not talking about save me from my sins, save me from e- e- eternal hell. It's talking about a deliverance from a temporary uh, difficulty, a, 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 a deliverance from a, from a temporary circumstance. And, and the psalmist is asking God to deliver him from the very present danger from his enemies. His enemies are closing in. We read that in, in verse 150. His enemies are closing in. So here comes the psalmist pleading to God. But the psalmist, he knows God's word. You know, pr- just prior to this, he wrote 144 verses on the greatness of God's word, on, on the dependence on God. And yet here he is after 144 verses, and I wish I had time and we'll read some of those verses. It is amazing how much trust and and encouragement he gets just from God's word. But even after knowing all that, here comes 145, and in 145 is a pleading, it's a desperate prayer. Now, I think there's something really quick here, but, but pretty important to point out. Uh, knowing God's word does not remove the need to go to God in prayer. You don't become a, a super Christian reading God's word and say like, oh, now I don't have to go to prayer because I know God's word so much. And I think some believers get so hung up on reading like God's sovereignty and say, well, this is God's sovereign plan. Uh, God is going to do what God's going to do anyway. I'm just going to trust in him and I'm I'm not going to go to him. But that's not what God wants. God wants us to go to him. God wants you as his son and as his daughter to reach out to him to reach out to him as his son and as daughter to reach out to him and say, Abba, Father, Dad, I need your help. And he wants us to approach him on the basis of our relationship that we have with him. 
And that's what the psalmist is doing. Look at 145. 145, he says, I cry with all my heart, answer me. And look who he's talking to. He says, oh Lord. You see all caps there in your translation. That is because that word for Lord is Yahweh. It is the, the covenant name that God has revealed himself to his people. He wants to, he's not approaching God. He's not approaching God under, under compulsion or that this is something he has to do. The psalmist isn't pointing to, to all the rules and laws that the, the, that the psalmist has obeyed and say, hey, God, look, I'm coming to you because I did my part and I don't want, now I want you to do your part. He goes to God on the basis of who God is to him. That God is Yahweh. That God is, that the Yahweh is his God, his Lord. This is the Yahweh, uh, the God who delivered his people from Egypt, who made a covenant and chose Israel to be his chosen people. So he approaches God on that, on that basis. Um, this is my God and I'm approaching you, Lord, as one of your people. And we approach God on the basis of personal relationship as well in prayer. We, we must. Uh, if there's anything else, if you're approaching God with anything else besides on the basis uh, on, of that personal relationship, then, then you're praying wrong. We, can't, we don't approach God on the basis of, I'm doing great, I need your help now. We approach God on the personal relationship that we have. That's, that's how Jesus taught us to pray. Remember, he says in, in the, the disciples' prayer, the first line is, our Father, right? Our Father who art in heaven. It is your prayer uh, that you're, you're praying to God on the basis of relationship that he is your father. And that relationship you only have through Christ, right? Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you want, if you want to pray during times of difficulty when, 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 when you need God's help, you don't approach him as, God, this is your time to shine act. You approach him as someone who, who loves you as a father loves a son. You approach on the basis of what Christ has done on the atoning work. Christ has died on the cross and because he died on the cross, we now become sons and daughters and that has immediate impact to our prayer life. We can now approach the throne confidently. So that was kind of a, a, a quick aside. It's just on one word when it says, oh Lord. Now, with these great blessings, with these great realities, you still read verse 145, and it's very obvious, God has not answered that prayer. Uh, in, in the Hebrew, the, the, this is, has been kind of, there's been like a, a constant thing, a constant prayer that, that the psalmist has been praying, and God hasn't answered. Here is a psalmist in his present need with ongoing pe uh, petition, approaching God as he should, right, as, as Yahweh, and no answer. What do you do? What do you do when you don't get an answer to your prayer? You're praying to God and he isn't responding. Maybe you start asking yourself, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm praying for the wrong reason. Maybe I'm praying with the wrong motives. Maybe I, I, I need to learn something first before God could actually answer my prayer. And we, we, try to, we try to decode God's silence. We look at God's silence like, there must be an explanation here. And kind of ask like, okay, why are you decoding God's silence? What's, what do you want to do there? Well, you, I think what we're doing is we want to ultimately get what we want. We still want God to answer our prayer. So we're trying to figure out what hoops do we need to jump through so that God can actually answer the prayer that we're given. You want to say, okay, God, I learned my lesson now. Right, that was the lesson you want me to learn. So can you answer my prayer now? But the psalmist doesn't do that. Look at what the psalmist does. He's, he, there's, there's no answer to prayer. And he goes, at the end of 145, he says, I will observe your statutes. Now, statutes, you remember from last week, is a synonym of God's word. Remember, it, it was the idea of, of having a task or a, a prescribed task or a, a law or a rule that has been etched in stone. That's what this word statute means. So he's saying, God, Answer me, please, please respond to my prayer. But no matter what, I'm committed to your word. The prescribed tasks that you've given me, those tasks that are eternal, that are unfading, I will live my life in accordance to those things. 
He's not making his obedience dependent on whether God answers. Regardless of what God answers, he just goes back to the word. This is the opposite of trying to decode God's silence. It's leaving the prayer before the feet of God, before your Father in heaven, and running to what you know God has said. Running to the instructions and the information and the encouragement that God has in his word. And you know what this does? Remember why, why the psalmist, we learned last week, well, remember why the psalmist is pursuing these, these commandments. Why is he going in God's word? He's doing that because he is seeking after God himself. The psalmist is obeying God, not for the sake of obedience, not to have something to show God and say, look, God, I'm, I, I'm, I did my part. Please answer my prayer. He's not doing that at all. He's, pursue, he, he's pursuing obedience. He's going to God's word because he seeks God and he loves God. And he wants to know who he is and he wants to enjoy fellowship with him. I think without this perspective, we can start treating prayer as a, uh, almost like Prime Day. You know, Prime Day just passed this past week. If you, if you guys don't know Prime Day, Prime Day is just a, a, a day where um, millions of people in the, around the world, I guess, buy impulsively and then end up with a whole bunch of stuff that they didn't mean to buy. Um, so we have, uh, so yeah, I did Prime Day. Um, we have Amazon Prime membership. And so uh, going on Amazon is amazing. I see something there, I click it, and Amazon is just it's like, just click it one more time and it comes to your house. I don't even have to enter my address anymore. I don't even enter my, my credit card. I assume someone's paying for it. So it, 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 two clicks. And then the thing that I'm seeing on my computer screen or now on my phone shows up in my front door. <laughs> Amazing. You know, that's, I like it. Now, God doesn't work like that. We don't go to God and look at the Better Life catalog and say like, this is what I want for my life. Double click it and boom, God answers. Think about what it would mean about your life, about your commitment to God. If when God doesn't give you what you pray for, you stop pursuing him. Like, like he didn't hold up his part of the deal. That would mean that your pursuit of God, your reason why you're obeying him, stop being to seek him. Stop being to enjoy him and to love him. And you started really to pursue something else and God was a means of pursuing that. Remember, prayer is based on a relationship. We aren't going to a vending machine. We're going to a father. We're going to our father. We're giving him requests and, and we're leaving it with him, trusting him that he loves us and he'll do what is good and continue to seek him and live in a way that pleases him. That's how the psalmist reacts to God's unanswered prayer when, he, when God doesn't respond to his prayer. Now, I'm gonna give a little balance here. Does that mean God always says no? No, right? No, God is our father. And as God is a father, that means he has a certain disp uh, disposition towards us, that he wants to give us things, that he, want, that he wants to bless us. I think in Matthew 7, 11, Matthew 7, 11 says that your father in heaven gives what is good to those who ask him. He loves blessing us. God loves giving us good things, but not when those good things are not good for us at that time. So if he, if he, if he doesn't give you an answer, it could, mean because, it could be because that what you think is good is not good for you or that there's something better or that in his infinite wisdom and in his perfect love for you, there's a better time for it. Here's, a, here's kind of this, the encouragement of that. We don't need to figure that out. You don't need to burden yourself with trying to figure out God's hidden workings of the Father. Instead, you do what the psalmist say, or you do what the psalmist does. You go to God's word. You go to what God has revealed and you live your life accordingly. Now, verse 146, very similar. Has a, it's, a, it's a parallel verse there. The psalmist pleads with God um, but he also gives us a little hint here. Now, in many of your translations, uh, if you have the NES or I think even the, uh, guys help me out here, LSB. Um, in those translations, it says in verse 146, I cry to you, save me, and I shall keep your testimonies. I like how the ESV does. The ESV changes that and it says, 
It says, I cry to you, save me, that I should keep your testimonies. Huge difference, right? Very strong implication here. It tells us that biblically informed prayer pleads with God, pleads with God, but with the purpose of keeping God's word. It is changing how you pray. It doesn't just stop at God, give me this, or God change this about my life, or God change this about my family member's life or my brother's life or whatever it is. You still pray that. We still pray for God to deliver. You still pray for, for God to, to, to work. But we also pray with a goal, a purpose that, that we, as the prayer, or if we're praying for somebody else, our family member, our friends, that they also follow God's word. That they go to what God has testified to be true. Notice verse 146, it says, that I should keep your testimonies, right? This is what God has said to be true. This is what God has testified in his perfect wisdom and his um, complete uh, lack of falsehood, right? It is completely true. This is what God has said to be true. And you want who you're praying for and for yourself to suffer well. You want to go through the trial, trusting the Lord even more, being strong against temptation that arises from trials. And that God can answer your prayer, not, so, not just so that the, the, the situation could be over with, but that God can answer your prayer so that you could obey him all the more. And if you're praying for a non-believer, a non-believer going through some difficulty, you're praying for them, asking the Lord to, to help them, you pray that God help them so that they could see you and they could love you and they could, they could turn to you. I think this also changes how you pray for yourself. Right? If, if we're praying so that we could be obedient to the Lord, you know, if, if let's say you have a, a sick family member, a sick, a, a sick wife, sick husband, sick child, and we pray, we pray, Lord, help, help them, heal them. But the, the, what we look at here, the, the psalmist wouldn't stop there. We should pray, Lord, help them, heal them. But Lord, help me to know how to treat them honorably. Help me to get up in the morning and be a servant to them and to love them as you have loved the church, that I would love my wife, that I would love my kids, that I would love my husband, and honor you during this time. That's a very different prayer. Let me change the situation just to kind of bring it to a different aspect of life here. Let's say your work, and work gives you a, a tough schedule. And that schedule is making it hard for you to go to church. That schedule is making it hard to spend time with your family. You know, I, I've been there. I know a lot of you have been there. And so what's our prayer? Our prayer is, Lord, please help my, my boss, my, my company, whatever it is, please help them to change my schedule, which is a great prayer. Pray that, but don't stop there. Pray that you know, as, you're, as you're driving into to work that day, Lord, I really don't want to be here. I'm asking you to change my schedule again, but also help me to have a changed heart. Help me to look at this day as a day that you have given, as a day that you have ordained, as a day that is good for me because you have ordained it so. And to, and to help me to glorify you in my work. See how that changes that? See how that prayer suddenly becomes more about or less about God just snap your fingers and make this go away to God, I want you to work, but also work in me. This is biblically informed prayer that pleads to God is the word helps us to plead with God with an attitude and a purpose of obedience. Now we also see biblically informed prayer persistently waits on God. And so that's what we're going to see in the next two verses. Biblically informed prayer persistently waits on God. So look at verse 147 and 148. You can kind of see the parallelism between these two verses. Arise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. So first of all, what sticks out? Look how often God prays or not God, look how the psalmist prays to God. He prays in the morning before dawn. That's when he cries for help. In verse 48, he goes to the other extreme. I pray in the night watches. You know, the night watches is probably around 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. So the psalmist is up in the morning praying to God and the psalmist is up at night meditating on God's word. Right? That's what it says in verse 140, uh, 148. 
It is a constant prayerful attitude, a, a praying at all times, praying without ceasing uh, kind of attitude that he has. And I just, you know, I kind of step back and say, okay, why is he doing this? Is, it be, is he doing this because he is so disciplined that it's just prayer, it's just a priority in life that he, he makes time for it? And part of the answer to that is yes. But when I looked at other passages, and sorry, I don't have time to share these passages with you, but when I looked at other passages and seeing when else do we see that? When else do we see God, uh, the psalmist going out early in the morning and other psalmists doing that? It's because there's a circumstance, a trial that's driving them to God in the morning. That there is something about the unsettlingness of the trial, something about the the persistent groaning that you go through a trial that draws you to God in the morning and in the evening. When God hasn't given clear answers, when your trial is persisting, maybe getting worse, those are the times that losing sleep, is not only natural, completely makes sense, but those are the times that God brings you to himself in prayer. That he brings you to himself in the middle of the night in the morning when you start the day, during the day, that you're persistent in prayer to him. And you know what this persistent prayer shows? It shows that the psalmist prioritizes prayer. That the psalmist sees, it's, it's, it sees a power in bringing something to God and asking God to, to act. It shows that the psalmist knows that what needs to happen can't happen unless, God's, unless there's God's action there. I love how he writes, the psalmist writes earlier, he says in verse 68 about God, you are good and you do good. And I just, I just love that. That means in the middle of the night, in the middle of, of, of this trial, as his enemies are surrounding him, he's looking to God and he says, God, I know you are good. I know you do good. And therefore I'm coming to you. That's what your, that's what your word tells me to do to do. We are to be persistent in prayer, but, but also look at the attitude of the psalmist. Look at verse 147. Uh, verse 147, he, he gets up in the morning, but he gets up and he waits on his word. Waits on his word. Now, waiting in the Bible, okay, I, waiting in the Bible is not like a raffle, right? You think of a raffle and, and, and like, you're, like you have a prayer ticket, you have you write down your prayer on that prayer ticket, put that prayer ticket in this big, you know, jumble rolling bin and you hope that God takes your ticket and answers, right? That's not what waiting means. Waiting is not waiting for something that might happen or waiting that, well, hopefully God does something here. And the Bible, the Bible connects waiting and hope so strongly. It means to wait on God, wait on God for him to do what he says. There's no chance that he won't do what he says. It's waiting on him to do what he says. There isn't a question about whether he'll do it or not. Waiting means that you have fully trusted that God will act in accordance to his perfect timing, in accordance to the word he's given. And what you need to do is, is accompany that to what verse 148 says. Verse 148 says that he, uh, that I meditate on your word. Meditate, meditation isn't, isn't a, you know, when the Bible uses meditation, it isn't like an emptying of your mind. Right? There's an object of, of meditation. There's something to meditate on. There's something you're supposed to reflect on and contemplate and something that you're supposed to rehearse on your, on your mind over and over again. And that is the word of God. But not just the word of God, the specific word here that he uses in 148 is the promises of God. This is so helpful to us as we pray and as we wait for God to answer because we can start getting so focused on what we want from God, on the fact that God hasn't answered, that we could actually start to expect God to provide something that he hasn't promised. Now, do you ever want something so bad for your birthday and like you made it super, super obvious to your spouse, super obvious to, to maybe to your parents? Um, my, my wife sends me an Amazon list, just to be super clear, on uh, what items and, and what color items. Um, I know not to get her jewelry. I learned that. So no jewelry for my wife. It's, uh, it's, it's my way of serving her. Um, 
So then you, you make something super clear and, and then it comes your birthday and then you see this, this wrapped box and you're like, I think that's it. I think that's the one I've been telling it. I've been hinting at. I've been kind of, you know, letting them know that's what I wanted. You, you take that box, you unwrap it and you open it and you're like, okay, now I have to act like I like this because it's not what I wanted. I think we could do that with prayer. We can start thinking that our answer to prayers must look a certain way. That the only way God can make the situation right is by giving you exactly what you prayed for. But this is where waiting on God and meditating on God's word comes together to help you trust in God in the right way or to hope in God in the right way. By meditating on God's word, God's word informs our waiting and informs our hope. We start looking at the promises of God, the promises that God has, uh, has revealed in his word, and we look for God to act according to that. And I think it's helpful here to just meditate on a couple of his promises. What are some of his promises that we can lean on as we're waiting for God to answer a specific prayer? And there's so many promises in the Bible that I just want to mention a couple. How about the promise that God hears us? I love Psalm 34 for this reason. Psalm 34, I'm just going to read a couple of verses from here. This is the Psalm of David. And David is just affirming that God hears his children. David writes, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and he, his ears are open to their cry. God hears your prayers. I look at what it says in Hebrews, that in Hebrews that, that because Christ is our high priest, that we could boldly come before the throne of grace. Earlier, I used the phrase unanswered prayer. Right? There's prayer that God hasn't answered yet. That's not the same as unheard prayer. Right? God hears it, and in his perfect timing, in his perfect love for you, he is withholding an answer until he deems it fit, until it is best for you but he hears, he hears his children cry. And, and, and God is even on the move in that. We don't see it, but God is on the move in that. And that brings us to a second promise that I want to highlight. The second promise, and you guys know this promise well, well Romans 8, 28, right? That he causes all things to work together for good towards those who love him. You know what that, that means? That means there's no pointless suffering. That means there's no meaningless trials. That means your waiting on God is never going to be in vain. His word tells us that he is at work, that he is causing all things to work together. And it is for our good. We go back to his promises as we pray. That's biblically informed prayer. Our prayer should be pleading to God while seeking to obey him, and our prayer should be persistently waiting on him as we meditate on his promises. Now look at the last point for this morning. The last point is biblically informed prayer rests on God. Biblically informed prayer rests on God. Reading God's word teaches us who God is. And because it teaches us who God is, who, what his promises are, it adjusts our expectations as we pray. You expect God to answer, not according to what you prayed, but you expect God to answer according to his character. Look at 149. 149, hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Hear my voice, listen to my voice. The psalmist is, is still praying to God. He's still expecting God to act. But look at what he says. He, he, he's, he gives this petition, listen to my voice, according to your loving kindness. It's a strong word in the Hebrew. A lot of you know it. It's hesed, or chesed, to say it correctly. This is a word in Hebrew that conveys a, a loyal love, a love that is, that is determined to give grace and mercy, a love that is undeserved and unmerited. I mean, you should look at how God loved Israel. Look at the covenants that God has made with Israel. And he is faithful to those covenants, faithful to the covenants that he made with Abraham, with David, to Israel as a nation. And what do they have to give back to God? God just expected them to praise him, to obey him. But God looked upon them first just because he loved them. 
just because he loved them and he wanted to make him, he wanted to make Israel his people. And, and so it is for us. We were, we were sinful. We were deserving of God's judgment before coming to Christ. But you know where we see that Hesed love? Is that when God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's that Hesed, right? There's that, we didn't deserve that. We didn't do anything to merit that. That was just God loving us. I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Now, why did God do that? Why did God make his perfect son to bear our sin and bear the wrath of God for us? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Man, 1 John 3, right? When we consider the great love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would become children of God, how how greatly should that impact your prayer life? God doesn't have to answer our prayers immediately. God doesn't have to do that to let us know that he loves us. He doesn't have to make our lives better to show us that he hears us. He has already given us eternal life. He has already made us his children. And and because of that, those promises that we see in the word, because of the gospel, we can confidently know know that God hears us. Now, if you haven't turned to Christ, if you haven't asked God to forgive you on the basis of what Christ has done, not on your own merits, but just on what Christ has done, then you don't have that confidence that God hears you. God, what God wants to hear from you if you're not in Christ The only thing that God wants to hear from you is, Lord, I have sinned against you. Please forgive me of my sin. That's what God wants to hear from you. And when you do that and saying that, indicating that, that, that you put all your trust in the completed work of Christ on the cross, when you do that, you instantly become a child of God. And the God who was your judge becomes your father. And he loves you and he hears you. And you'll find rest in that because of who he is. So biblically informed prayer rests on God because his word tells us his character. But we can rest on God in prayer also because the truth of God's word. Look at, look at verse 149. Verse 149 says, he needs God. Let me just read it. Verse 149, revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. He needs God to revive him. In other words, he needs God to give him new life. He needs God to give him new strength. He needs God to help him and to provide for him for his daily battle in this trial. And God always gives us what he needs. How do we know that? Because the psalmist goes to according to your ordinances, according to your word, right? That's another synonym for God's word. He looks at God's word. He looks at what God has said. And he rests in that and he gets strength from that. God supplies all our need. And, and you might be facing, and I know some of you are, facing an unbearable trial. Or maybe you don't fear, maybe you're not facing trial, but, but you're fearing that the unthinkable will happen and you just don't know if you could deal with it. Well, you don't have to deal with it now. It, 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 that, that unthinkable hasn't happened yet. But when that unthinkable does happen, the psalmist here says, revive me. The psalmist says, God's going to give you strength for that. God will give you strength and he will provide what you need to bear that trial that he has ordained for you to go through. Now, there's an urgency here for the psalmist. So get like, verse 150 his urgency is his enemies are drawing near. This is not a hypothetical trial anymore. This is a trial that is now coming before him. It is there. It's his front doorstep and the enemies are near. And these enemies in verse 150 said, like, they don't want to follow God's law. They hate God's law and they go against God's law and they don't care that the psalmist obeys God's law. So he's being surrounded. He's being opposed from all directions. And we're told to expect the same, right? We're told in John 15 to expect persecutions. 
But look at what the psalmist does with this in 151. In 151, he says, okay, in 150, they draw near, but in 151, almost in contrast to what he just said in 150, you are near, O Lord. You can kind of read it as, but you are near, O Lord. They, the enemies draw near, the trials around us enclose us, they, they enclose around us, they weight us down. And as close as those enemies make it, as close as those trials come to us, God is closer. And again, look at who the psalmist identifies. Who's close with him? He says, you are near, O Lord, O Yahweh. He goes back to that personal relationship. It is a covenant-keeping God that is close to him. God said to Israel, I will be your God and you will be my people. And the psalmist is saying, here I am. I'm your person. I am part of your people. And I know that my God is near me. This idea of God being near us, so prevalent in the scripture. You guys know Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. And how about, how about the promises Jesus gives in Matthew 28? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is just complete through scripture. I love Romans 8. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Implied answer to that is no. But in all things, we are overwhelmingly, uh, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Over and over and over in the scripture, God wants us to know that he is with us. You know, we pray God to intervene. We pray God to act. We don't see him doing it, but we rest in his nearness. We rest in the amazing gospel truth that, that we were once far off. Remember, Ephesians says that we are outside of the covenant of, the covenant of promise, but we have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, how do you know that God is with us? We're in the trial. How do you know that? Look at the, what the psalmist says in, in verse 151. It says, you are near, Lord, and all your commandments are true. The basis of how we know God is with us is because God's word is true. This is going to be your bearing during trials. This is what's going to make sense of your life when everything's flipped upside down and when you're adrift and, you're not, and you don't know what you need to do. You go back to God's word, you run to God's word and you go to his commandments, you go to what he has told us to do and that keeps you on the true path. So biblically informed prayer rests on God because of who he is. It rests on God because his word is true and we rest on God because his word is eternal. Look at verse 152. It says, of old I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. What the psalmist is saying here is, I know your word is dependable. I know your word is far more dependable than any person, any relationship I have outside of you. You can't find that same amount of faithfulness or trust from people as you can from God. People change. People make a promise. We make promises. And maybe one day I think that's a wise choice. Maybe the next day I don't. But God... His word is forever. God's promises remain. What God has testified, as it says in verse 152, what God has testified will always remain true. His word does not change ever. And I love what Hebrew says about our Savior, right? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Doesn't matter what happens with our lives. God, Jesus is not going to act differently because our trial is so heavy. Jesus is still there with us. Jesus is still there interceding for us and loving us. You can depend on him. You can rest on him, even when your prayers aren't immediately answered. So what does biblically informed prayer look like? What does this, this psalm tell us? The psalm tells us that, that prayer pleads with God, that biblically informed prayer uh, waits on God, and ultimately rests on God. Now, 
I know some of you are in that moment of waiting for God to answer. That, that you're suffering right now, that you're in the midst of, of turmoil. And if that's not you this morning, just praise God for the peaceful waters. Look at this verse and, and look at this passage and be like, I want to depend on the Lord now while the, the waters are peaceful. But if, if that's you in, 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 the, in the turmoil right now, don't, don't, try to, don't, don't try to decipher God's silence. Don't try to figure out why God hasn't answered your prayer. I mean, it, it's true that God doesn't answer prayer because of disobedience, because of wrong motives. All those things are true. But whatever the case, there's only really one recourse. There's only one cure, one thing that you could do to bring yourself peace. And that's, that's what the Psalms been telling us. You go to God's word. Let God's word show you who God is. Let God's word be for you a way where you find God, where you enjoy being with him, where you pray to him, where you walk with him. And remember, you're not alone. The church is around you. But more importantly than that, God is, is himself with you as he promised. God is near you. God, God says that, that he is near the brokenhearted, that he saves those who are crushed in spirit. No matter where you are today, cling to God, cling to Jesus. He will provide strength. Go to him as your steadfast hope and wait confidently for him to accomplish his purposes. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now and we know that you are faithful and true. We know that you love us and that you care for us. We know that you are not deaf to our groanings and to our trials and to our suffering. And God, I just pray like the psalmist that you would bolster every saint here, that each one of us, Lord, by your spirit would be drawn to obey your word, would be drawn to trust in your word and give our lives completely to you that we were bought at a price. Our lives is not our own. And so we leave our lives before you. We leave our, even our desires and our prayers before you, knowing that you are good. And Lord, I just pray that you help us walk in the words that you've given us. Praise Jesus' name, amen.